squirted on the newest curse. Now, by new, I mean it's been around for four or five years, and uh, in our time, it's uh, comparatively new, but boy, is it ever a curse. Holy smokes. The new curse of our time is the, uh, uh, I just want a job in production curse. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, listen, give me, give me a couple of minutes there. I want you to listen to this. Uh, for, uh, for those of you who, who uh, you know, I think most people live in a fairly stable environment. I mean stable in the chemical sense. Uh, that they're not, uh, they're not constantly bombarded by various uh, divergent atoms, uh, that maybe 20 years ago they got themselves in a slot and they've been there ever since. Maybe even 10 years ago they got themselves in a slot. Now that slot can take many forms. It can be a marriage, uh, where the guy lives up in Darien and he gets on the train every day at the same time and he comes down to the city. And he yells at the same boss, and the boss yells at him at the same time, and it's always about the same things. And he gets back trained at the same time every day, and he has the same number of drinks on the way home, and he arrives in the same state back in Darien, exactly the same. You know, there are many people who think that Darien has all kinds of wiggly buildings in it because they've never seen it in any other way. <laughs> I mean, it's a fact. I had a friend here the other day who for the first time in over seven years saw his town stone-cold sober. And now he's preparing to move. That he used to think it was this great, wonderful, hazy place, but now he, you know, he saw it for what a rotten place it really is. And, and I suspect that these slots into which most people fall govern their attitude towards the world out there at large. How many of these guys who are living in a slot who will look right out of a television screen? I see them all the time on these serious shows, you know, where David Suskite is being serious about stuff. And, uh, <laughs> gee whiz, wouldn't it be something if he really was? Uh, that, 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 that's what would make it even funnier if he were. But nevertheless, they look out of these shows all Sunday long, and they say things like, well, actually, I don't think things have basically changed since you and I were a boy, Charles. Now, uh, of course, what he means, he's catching the same train every day. He means, <laughs> he means that he's drinking the same the same brand of gin that he drank ten years ago, so he really believes that nothing has changed, because actually nothing has changed in his life. And so he assumes that nothing has changed in the world, which uh, is incidentally the most subtle form of egomania there is, to judge the rest of the world by your ridiculous little rotten life. And yet many, many people really do. However, uh, since, since uh, it is impossible to become part of a slot, and uh, to have uh, that kind of cocoon built up around you and be in showbiz. Now, I don't know whether any of you know anything about showbiz, but believe me, Dad, one thing they ain't got, and that's cocoons. Uh, that the, the minute you think you've got a cocoon, you're working in Keokuk for a 12 water. Uh, and it just doesn't happen in this business. And so guys who are in the entertainment field, uh, in, in almost any form, are often aware of currents in the society. Uh, that other people are not, because, you know, it's, uh, it's easy to form a little concrete vault at uh, Young and Rubicam. I've known guys who have not emerged from their little steel-encased cocoons for years on end, except once in a while I pick up the phone and holler, uh, send a contract in! Yeah, stick it under the door, yeah! And then I hang up. <laughs> no, uh, the outside world, and of course, the, the, they then meet their own kind at lunch which reinforces their idea that the world has never changed. You ought to go to a ritualistic 
meeting of the breed at P.J. Clark's on 3rd Avenue some afternoon. It's just fantastic. There are more Westchester swinging jaws per square inch there than you'll find in all of Westchester sometimes. They'll say, oh, my God, hey, Chucky, Chucky, come over here. Hey, fix him one of those Bloody Marys you do so well, Charlie. Here. Hey, Chucky, have you had a... And, you know, you know that nothing has changed there. They, these guys have gone from their prep school uh, unassailed by the outside world. They've all gone to, to George School or they've gone to some, uh, buddy, like, Miss Choate's classes or something. They, they, they proceeded without, uh, without the, any boat rocking. No water has come around their feet. Uh, then, of course, they proceeded always wearing their Abercrombie and Fitch waterproof sneakers. Uh, they've gone, they've gone into Yale, or they've gone into Princeton, or they've gone to Harvard, and now they're working for Dad. Well, uh, <laughs> so naturally, these guys wind up on programs. It's the William Buckley syndrome, really. He's got it in the most virulent form. Well, I think that nothing uh, actually really needed. We've got to. We've just got to be more firm with the natives. I, I think nothing basically has changed. We just need a few more cops, that's all. Beat a few heads. We'll get those natives in line again. Uh, so uh, this, this, uh, this you find on all sides. Now, one of the most fascinating developments of our time, though, that I've not seen reported on, is the, is the, is the contemporary plague of tall, willowy, blondish young ladies who have arrived almost like the locusts. You cannot believe how many of them there are in New York City, all of whom have one single phrase on their lips. Well, uh, I'm looking for a job in production. <laughs> Whatever the devil that is. Uh, this, this is one of those amorphous words like, I'm looking to, uh, well, uh, to fall in love. Uh, whatever that means. Or, what I'm looking for is a little slot in heaven, actually. Oh, nothing important, just a little slot in heaven. I can, you know, I, I can pick up tunes easily. I think I can learn to play the harp. And uh, I, I don't want anything important. I don't want to lead any heavenly choirs or anything like that. It's just my little job in heaven, that's all. Well, this uh, everyday WOR and every last radio, television, ad agency in this town is besieged by hundreds of young, tall, willowy young ladies, all of whom played Electra at Bennington. And uh, they have <laughs> they have arrived with their portfolio, and I'm just looking for a job in production. Now, uh, they incidentally are very, very irritated that they don't immediately get that job in production. And they think this is because of the basic stupidity of the people who are in charge, these old stupid poofs who don't realize how fantastic they were at, at, uh, <laughs> at Smith. And, uh, and why don't they realize, you know, of course, uh, uh, I, I had to just sit there. I, I sat the other night, and I'll tell you, it, it, you wind up with your ears buzzing. I sat the other night with a chick whom I've known from the time she was about just getting out of high school, or rather just getting out of grade school, going into high school, really. And now today she has arrived and she's got the degree. And uh, she has been subjected, since she graduated not more than two and a half weeks ago, she has been subjected to the fantastic indignity of having people in the personnel department ask her questions. And, no, this is true, really. And she's, she's got this harassed look on her face. And she says, she says I don't know. I, why do I have to sit and listen to these ridiculous old foofs? That isn't the word she used. Why do I have to listen to these ridiculous old foofs who ask me these silly, ridiculous questions like, can I type? Can, what can I type? I'm just looking for a job in production. 
Can I type? Can I take dictation? What is all this? Why? For uh, I, I, I sat there the other day at this up at CBS, and I sat with this man, this this ridiculous old fool who looked right at me and said, "Well, do you have any qualifications?" What do I have any qualifications? Why I played in twenty-seven wagon loads of Whoopi by Tennessee Williams at Ithaca, and by George, anybody who. Well, I, I sat there and I listened. This is holy smokes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Danny, ain't that? Don't run away, Danny. I think one of the saddest men in our in our world, in the world that we inhabit, you and I, must be the poor, sad personnel guy who has to develop asbestos ears, listening to countless Bennington girls who have arrived bearing portfolio and what a job in production. <laughs> Well, uh, now, of course, uh, if, if this this uh, you're you're saying to yourself, well, what does this cause? What what what? Why are you reporting on this? This is not important. Oh, but it is. It's tremendously important because of the unreality involved, and because of the numbers of people involved. Why, well, I'll bet today it's almost impossible to find a guy graduating from college, and, and this particularly is is a, is a is a chick problem. Uh, now, again, I'm going to get 45 phone calls from people saying, what is it, Shepard? Are you a male chauvinist? No, I can only say that, that watching it happen up here at WOR, if for every male that arrives saying, I'm looking for a job in production, there are at least 250 tall, willowy young ladies who are at least six and a half feet tall and who all played Electra at Bennington. Now, have you seen them, Jerry? Oh, they're wild. Isn't it? And I, I, it must be, it must be depressing for a kid uh, who is going to college somewhere. He may be going to to, to Seton Hall. You know, one of these uh, the typical, you know, just a place. You know, he's not going to Princeton. He's not going to Yale. He's going to something like Rutgers Ag School. Something, you know, it must be must be depressing for him to sit in the front seat of his Ford with uh, with uh, Corrine. Who is going into production? Uh, <laughs> you know, and all he's got dancing before his his head are the realistic visions that one day he may be the assistant manager of a giant chicken farm in charge of shovels. And uh, you know, he knows this, but not. And 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 of course, what this generally results in there's a fascinating uh, development that comes out of it. I wonder how many guys are now married to chicks around the age of 25 who look upon the guy as the guy as the as the enemy that destroyed their fantastic career in production <laughs> I'm just curious about that uh, how many marriages are now uh, on the rocks or very close to being on the rocks because the girl looks upon the guy as having destroyed her wonderful career as an actress Career that never got off the ground in production, or God knows what, you know, there are a thousand things. But none of these things, incidentally, none of these things ever seem to involve talent. Uh, I, <laughs> it's just, I want to be in production. Now, they never quite know exactly what they're going to do, and they wind up in production. And you want to see more, uh, uh, most fascinating development is when they actually do get a job in production, and it turns out that they're typing the log. Uh, which is what a job in production means, and they and they can't type, or uh, or they're in charge. They're in charge of, uh, of something like uh, maintaining the engineer's schedule, and uh, they hate that, you know. Or answering the phone, 
in, in, the, in the production office. None of these things are, 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 are important and, and, in fact, are generally considered a drag. We've had chicks here. I remember one day uh, uh, having a long hassle with a girl. I, I, I hope this isn't a boring show, but you, a lot of you out there, uh, may be producing a daughter right in your own house who says, I'm going in production. Be careful. She's going to be one of the locusts. Or is it loci? Uh, <laughs> but no, nevertheless, uh, this is a growing thing, and in fact so growing that even Ogdenesh, who is usually uh, seven and a half light years behind the rest of the population of detecting trends, he, uh, <laughs> he is not one of our... Uh, yet in a nutty way, uh, a, a peculiarly... Uh, Non-angry poet of the type of Ogden Nash often points out things that are of far more import in a society than, say, the guy who makes it like, you know, the guy who says, An eagle screamed a thong on 14th Street. Oh, America. Oh, you rotten, crummy, rotten America. Yes, I saw friends of mine die in Rockland County. Yes, all hung up on pot. Oh, America, you rotten. You know, this is considered a great, fantastic piece. He's really laying his hand on something really deep and important in the society. And yet, it is an extremely trivial situation. It's a very, speaking of the trivia, this is WORAM and FM New York, that reminds me. And uh, we'll be back after this bit of trivia for you, friends. Hang on there. Ah, yes, yes, uh, yes, you're right. It's Castro convertible time. And uh, to those of you who would like to convert your life into one vast, luxurious, reclining song, uh, we would like to recommend that stop sleeping in the bottom drawer of the bureau and uh, go down to the Castro people and take a look at one of their Castro convertibles, which, by the way, come in 2,000, it's a disgusting thing, 2,000 different finishes, and some of those finishes you can't even bear to look at. I'll tell you, I'm telling you, if you could imagine a Castro convertible that shines in the dark like the Aurora Borealis with sequins, well, you can get that. And you can also get majestic, beautiful, fantastic, modern Danish-type styling that does not stop and that sleeps 225. This is Castro Convertible Time, and you will find in 37 Castro stores, even in Philadelphia, which is hard to believe if there's anything in Philadelphia. This is Castro, C-A-S-T-R-O. Remember, Yaki C, Cubano. Oh, excuse me. Okay, and we also have with us Pujo. And uh, for those of you who might be considering a new car, I would respectfully suggest that you find out about the French Peugeot, which uh, has a lot to offer. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, it's considered one of the best uh, automobiles in its class in the world. And by the way, about five or six years ago, I don't know whether I reported this or not on, in connection with the Peugeot, uh, the, the Peugeot, you know, standard French taxi today, that almost all the taxis you see driving around in France are Peugeots. And in fact, when I, uh, when I was in uh, Europe about five years ago, uh, I found that the Peugeot was one of the most difficult cars to take delivery on. It was almost impossible to get them. When many of the, the more popular cars uh, that is popular in America were going uh, unclaimed in Europe. This is a fine automobile and in fact uh, is probably one of the single, uh, one of the rare European cars that's truly suited to American driving. Now, I'm talking about long-distance, high-speed driving over turnpikes. And I think you'll find that the Peugeot will do it and give you 25, 30 miles to the gallon. And it's a car that holds up. What's that? What's the little thing there? Well, that means stop, huh? Okay, uh, if you want to find out about the Peugeot, you can see it at 2 East 46th Street, right, in Manhattan. Now, uh, 
Again, getting back to the to I just want a job in production uh, syndrome, uh, I think there are many magazines that have given rise to this problem. Uh, Vogue among them, uh, Harper's Bazaar, where all the girls that are described or discussed in these magazines all have fantastically exciting jobs. And even when the job is pure scut, uh, it is never described as scut. And so it'll have the girl of the month. And uh, there is the girl of the month, Mabel, the girl of the month, uh, who graduated from Bennington at the head of her class, is now working in this fantastically unbelievable glamorous job where she works for a publishing house. Yes, Mabel spends her life, her days, in a round of excitement. Here, meeting a famous author, there, talking to a top publisher, now dealing with recalcitrant, difficult, old, foggy editors. But her life is one long, fantastic swing. What they mean is that she spends her time yelling on the phone and typing. And uh, <laughs> now, have you ever gone to any any chicks out there who are affected by these magazines and who, who really believe the crud? Uh, have you ever been around any of those offices, like those offices? You'll find a large number of very angry girls who are typing uh, bills. <laughs> and they're all from Bennington. And uh, they, they've yet to be invited to this exciting new cocktail party in which the chief guest of honor was Tom Wolfe. What a darling young man he is with his long, lank yellow hair and his pink suit. And he's such an exciting writer, you know, my dear. Such one. And, and baby Jane was there with him on his arm, and on the other arm was Andy Warhol. What a wonderful trio. Well, uh, <laughs> this, uh, this, this great, fantastic, wonderful fantasy world that, that most people live in who read these magazines uh, rarely impinges upon their sense of reality but when it does look out it's Rocklandsville just over the next hill because many a girl who gets a job in a company here in New York City uh, whether it be at, a, at an ad agency or a radio station or a TV station within a very short time begins to realize that her job and the place she works bears no relationship to the world of Betty Friedan, uh, to this glamorous world of Andy Warhol, and this wonderful, wonderful, exciting, swirling nightlife of Betty, baby Jane Holzer. And, and she then begins to feel that she, she, she picked the wrong place. That's a rotten place she's got. And her bosses are rotten people. And so she shifts to another job. And it turns out this is even worse. Uh, just, just uh, indescribably worse, and and so in the end, eventually, she winds up meeting a guy at a party, some cocktail party in the village, which, by the way, never turns out to be like the cocktail parties that you read about in John Wilcox's column in The Voice. In fact, John has never been to a party like that. I know John very well. Poor John has been searching for the party, the way Ahab searched for the white whale. I suspect if John ever gets to that party, that that party will do to him what the white whale did to Ahab when Ahab finally got it. <laughs> and, you know, uh, so, so the search for the real thing, the search for the, 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 the great thrill, the search for the, the, the genuinely hip in world goes on ceaselessly. But it's when it runs afoul of real-life relationships that we come into some really difficult problems, really difficult ones. And so here is this chick after two and a half years trying to get that job in production. And she, she winds up, at, she gets three uh, cocktail party invitations in a month. 
and she gets to these cocktail parties and nobody pays any attention to her. Or if they do, it's only to try to sneak her into the broom closet. Uh, and, and you know, this is, you know, and she gets very disillusioned with this whole scene, and she, then she finds out that half of the people aren't interested in girls at all, which really throws her. <laughs> and, 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 and the only one who really chased her was a tall, thin lady editor with a mustache, who chased her around the, who chased her around the shrimp salad bowl for 14 laps, and she found out she wasn't being offered a job, she was being offered something else. Well, so she winds up, uh, she winds up casting about. She spends her time uh, uh, phoning her friends a lot, who and they compare notes. And incidentally, uh, the friends generally spend a good deal of time making their jobs seem more glamorous than they really are. Hardly anybody will concede that the job he has is dull or ridiculous, especially when they're in New York and they're, they've got their own pad in the East Sixties and uh, their work agency, the agency, with a lot of exciting people, you know. And they're spending their weekends going home to Ridgeway, New Jersey. Uh, so they have to wind up by, by kind of keeping up the pretense to themselves. So one day, at a cocktail party, they meet Charlie. Well, Charlie is, is working as an assistant time buyer at one of the big agencies. And Charlie himself, you know, came out of Princeton a few years ago. But Charlie now has a few little lines around the eyes. He has seen a little of the reality. A couple of his buddies got fired. He himself was bounced out twice. And he has the one big disadvantage. He's not a girl. Uh, a girl, uh, you'd be surprised at how much different this makes the world seem. Uh, a girl, you know, often works because it's fun. A man works because he's got no other recourse. <laughs> I mean, he just, just got to go, you know. He can't, he, can't, uh, he can't flip from the Museum of Modern Art at 2 o'clock in the afternoon to, uh, to that wonderful gallery at 3.30 and over to uh, P.J. Clark's at 5, just the one big constant round of wonderful things. And then he gets into Charlie's uh, uh, Mercedes 190 and off to Fire Island. It's not quite like that. And so he has now developed a few little lines around the eyes, and the next thing you know, the two of them are, are plighting their troth. They're plighting their troth on a dark and stormy night in her pad in the village, or in the East Sixties. And the next thing you know, the, the knot is tied. Well, two or three months later, the first signs begin to appear. In the middle of a, of a brisk discussion of why they always have instant coffee every morning instead of real coffee. In, in, in the middle of this brisk discussion, she says, Look, the first thing you've got to get under, under that hat of yours, that ridiculous hat you wear, the first thing you're going to have to understand is that you did not marry a housewife. Not at all. Uh, actually, I was, just, I was just about to land that job in production when I, when I married you, and I want you to remember I am not a housewife. And he says, Yeah, well, I can see that. <laughs> All he has to do is take one quick look around them. Well, eventually, uh, you, you find that these two are totally, totally unable to make any contact at all. That, by the way, is often what the playwrights write about as the problem of communication between individuals. Uh, where she, she is frustrated. I'm not making any value judgments here, except to say that I've seen this happen in my own experience my own friends at least, oh, I'd say at least uh, better than a dozen times. And how many times have I seen uh, after the first child or two arrives where the girl then really begins to have 
those uh, those deep, long, middle-of-the-afternoon misgivings when she turns on the television set and she sees a girl on a soap opera and she says, and I could have been an actress. And here I had played Electra at Bennington and they all said I was so good and now look, and the, the kid is crying, you know, he's hanging on the bottom of the air conditioning and he's wet his pants and the windows are breaking and the whole thing. And so... Believe it or not, poor. Well, believe it or not, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, there it is. Chuck becomes the white whale. He becomes the the crippler. He becomes the great avenger of. Uh, he's the one who clipped her off from that wild, wonderful, uh, and incidentally, almost entirely uh, fantastic in the sense of fantasyville world that she thinks was rightly hers. Uh, life in the in the uh, in the little suburb didn't work out the way she thought life in the suburb would work out, uh, because that world is also glamorized in the magazines. You know, uh, pick up Woman's Day and you'll find that all troubles can be solved by writing to the uh, medical uh, question and answer. All problems can be solved by writing to Rose Franzblau. And what little problems they ask, you know, Q&A type things. Uh, there's no problem, really. And so so uh, the, the world of the glamorization of life is beginning to really take its toll on people in the reality of existence. Uh, and so uh, millions of, I'm, I'm sure there must be at least uh, a half a million males walking around uh, who are listening to me right now, many of them, who feel that if they hadn't gotten married, or if they hadn't gotten themselves involved with this fantastically rotten, crummy, uh, back-breaking, ridiculous, grimy job that they've got now, that they could be walking up and down McDougal Street singing folk songs and uh, <laughs> living life to the hilt in the limelight. And, and this is also a myth, you know. You'd be surprised at the number of guys that are walking around in the limelight who have a secret belief that if they somehow hadn't gotten off the track, they would have been a vice president in charge of production up at y, YNR. Now, they'll, they'll, and, and incidentally, both lives put down the other then. Because if you don't put it down, you then really feel depressed about your life. And so a poor guy who at the age of, uh, and I've known them, incidentally, I still know them, a guy at the age of, of uh, 21 elected the coffee house as a way of life. He really did, you know. He, he elected the coffee house. Is now all of a sudden 31, and he's still sitting in the coffee house. And now at this point, he's beginning to have uh, a few little problems, you see, because for one thing, there's a whole new group of 21-year-olders who are sitting in the coffee shop and the coffee house, and they don't listen to him anymore. He is still a bomb, a bomb the banner, or ban the bomber, or boon the bomby, or whatever it is that he was, he was all hung up on when he arrived at the coffee shop, and everybody else has got a new big shtick going. And they're not interested in, and, and, oh yeah, oh, you ought to see him sometimes down in the fiend, John, you know, when, when, uh, when once in a while, uh, a ban the bomber, or the boon the binger, or whatever it is, the guy with the little thing in the lapel, he, he jumps up and he hollers, yeah, well you guys are all are yelling about somebody riding around in the backseat of the bus at Birmingham, what about the bomb? And all of a sudden there's a silence and a, and a couple of guys with, uh, with, with guitars say, what bomb? And, uh, you know, then you get, there, there you got the problem, you see. And, and so they, in turn, you see, they, in turn, are going to go through the same scene. So, so already, poor old Bob Dylan is beginning to slip out because the long, hot summer didn't turn out to be as long and as hot as they thought. 
And, uh, <laughs> you know, this, this issue is beginning to settle down into reality. And so, believe me, within a very short time, comparatively, historically speaking, there's going to be a lot of guys walking around still carrying signs that are very relevant now, but five years from now they'll be carrying the same signs and nobody will care. And then they'll get mad in their turn. So, you know, this is a, this is <laughs> this is a, this is a difficult uh, uh, thing to, to, to wrestle with. So eventually, uh, th they, they decide on one common enemy, the guys in the coffee shops who live in that coffee shop world. That is that the other world is ridiculous. Well, they do this uh, primarily to maintain that shell of having discovered the real life around them. You've got to do this. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, just like, it's just like a guy who's a dedicated communist in some Iron Curtain country, and he hasn't had a potato for six months. To maintain his life, he's got to pretend that life in Cleveland is worse. He's got to pretend this. You ju uh, human beings are like this. It's like the poor continually uh, throughout the great days of the, the British royalty. The poor little person uh, who spent, uh, the, the woman who spent her whole life on her, on her knees scrubbing floors used to look at the queen and say, Oh, poor darling, I certainly don't envy. Well, <laughs> the queen is riding around in this fantastic carriage, you know, and, and she's eating caviar and everyone's cheering. Somehow, to make the life of the drudge bearable, the drudge had to pretend that their life was really superior to the life of that person who was the queen. You find this in many areas of American life, even today, that people will say, yes, but the poor people are happier than the rich people. Well, this is questionable. Uh, but it makes the, the lot of the poor easier to accept if they believe it. And mostly a man will believe that his life is the best possible of all lives. In fact, Voltaire wrote about this at great length. This is what Candide really was. Uh, Dr. Pangloss really was. Uh, that, that There's no question about it. We have to, to maintain our lives. We have to pretend that we're on the right track, uh, whatever it might be. If you're a protester, you are the first protester who ever really was honest about it. You have to believe that. Uh, you are the first protester who really was dealing with genuinely important causes. You have to do that. You'd never want to concede that, that somebody else's cause may be important, uh, uh, maybe even more than yours, because if, that, if you do concede that, then you're, in, in, by like manner, reducing yourself, which is hard to do. And so on the other hand, the guy that's living in Darien, he has to constantly to maintain his belief that getting on the train every morning at 5.17 a.m. for the two-and-a-half-hour trek into New York City uh, and, and, and rushing by uh, Horn and Hardart and grabbing the, uh, the breakfast special uh, as he tears into the Pan Am building uh, to, to be harassed for eight-and-a-half hours by those nuts, and he finally arrives back on the train at 5.42 for another two-and-a-half-hour trip out to the hinterland. He's got to pretend this is the best possible way of life. Now, he doesn't really come out and say, I am living the best life. What he's, all those others are living ridiculous lives. Just like the beat or the hippie never says, I am living the best life. What he does say is all the others are living ridiculous lives. And by default, I'm living a good one. <laughs> That's obvious. And so you find these two warring constant fantasies that, that are, have always harassed people. It's not new, you know. And so now the newest one, of course, to come along is the production fantasy. Somehow people have an idea that if they get involved in showbiz, 
life is one long glorious song. And not only is it one long glorious song, it's somehow creative. That anybody who gets a job working at the DeMille Theater is being creative. Now, the girl really finds out what she's doing is, is matching ticket stubs with the rent receipts. But somehow she's got to feel she is creative. That if she's matching stick ticket stubs down at the, the mill, that that's somehow more creative than matching ticket stubs at Young and Rubicam or Macy's. But nevertheless, that's, that's part of that, that great myth, uh, that, 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 great, that great, wonderful hang-up. And you know, creativity is another word that has taken the fantastic beating because it's connected with that idea of production. Most people are not talented. In fact, I would say, excuse the expression, damn few people are talented at all. And this is a hard thing to come to realize in a world that puts such tremendous importance on talent, a world that has made talent the only thing that a man can have if he's going to be anything. A girl, too, of course. Everybody's talented in Vogue. Uh, everybody's talented who reads Vogue, actually, ultimately. It's just like everybody who reads Playboy believes he's a Playboy. <laughs> Which is, you know, kind of sad, but nevertheless, uh, never uh, they, they, they believe it. So, you know, fine, that's part of the fantasy world, too. Except when they try to make it work. That's when problems start resulting. You know, if you, if you sit back there and read Playboy, fine. But if all of a sudden one day you meet Miss June and she turns out to have to shave every day and, uh, <laughs> and she has a better left hook than you ever had and furthermore uh, not only is not interested in Schopenhauer and Kierkegaard, is not remotely interested in you, then you are in for some real problems. And as long as you can live abstractly, you're all right. It's just like many guys today abstractly uh, empathize with the Viet Cong. That's because you're not a Viet Cong. That's because you're not living there, you know. It's very easy to, to have an abstract concept of a thing that has nothing whatsoever to do with the reality of it, with the actual, uh, with the actual life. How many people know the actual life that is lived by, say, the average peasant in uh, Cuba? We don't know. You know, and, and a lot of guys will say, well, what do you mean? I went on a tour. What do you mean a tour? Come on. Don't be so naive. I can take you on a tour of the Playboy offices, and you will believe that all they have is playgirls all the time. But forget it. Now, now, uh, getting back to this, this curse of, of I'm in production, I think that, uh, that, well, I can't. You know, I've got five minutes, and that's all I got. <laughs> that that uh, I'd like to be able to go off. Now, you know what would happen, Denny, if I went off right now? Next week, my show would be four and a half minutes late, and then you'd get mad. <laughs> you know, so the problem is there. But nevertheless, getting back to this, Charlie, you, this is in your department. How many girls have you met in the last two years who come up or who say, I'm looking for a job in production? I mean, that, yeah, millions and millions, it's so sad. And, and they never related to typing or answering phones. They never related to going down to the stationery department and bringing up four more boxes of paper clips. They never related to any reality at all. And, and listen to what Ogden Nash says, if I may quote a, a, uh, a commentator on the scene. And I believe this is in, uh, what magazine is this? Uh, the Post, Saturday Evening Post. He starts out, the title of it is, 
the quack frown socks lumps open the blank or farewell Phi Beta Kafka by Ogden Nash. <laughs> he says, if my mind is wandery, well, I'm in a quandary. I am recovering from a temporary secretary, a girl from Bennington, who neither resembled nor had heard of such dream girls of my youth as Louise Grudy or Ann Pennington. She came to me under the misapprehension that she could thereby pick up experience in an easy school, not a hard school, which would lead her to producing and directing off-Broadway plays of the Avant or Prenet Garde school. Her eyes and her conversation glistened, but she never listened. Oh, man, I'll tell you, if I, ha if I meet one more little short, angry girl from Queens... Who, who, who just graduated from NYU, who says, oh, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to produce off-Broadway plays. I'm so tired of the ridiculous crash commercialization of Broadway. If I meet one of these little lice once more, I'm going to flow up. <laughs> to, to quote Dorothy Parker. But they are everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And, and this is one of the modern... One of the modern problems that we are now. The only question I am I am bringing up that sounds very funny now when I talk about it, but can you imagine the unimaginable hell is in store for countless men? <laughs> well, you know, and 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 and, and in every school, everywhere you go. You know, it used to be that there were thousands of girls who were taking business ed and all that stuff. Everywhere you go, you know what is the most crowded school of all in all the universities today? The school of drama and the theater. Everybody, everybody, and nobody ever suggests that you may not have talent. That's a terrible thing to bring up, you know. That I don't care how many people go to the school of drama at Yale, there still will remain the same percentage of talented people to untalented has always existed. It is a fact of nature, just like the Mendelian laws of heredity. You cannot get around them. There they are. And that, that numbers do not make right. And, and, and I suspect that, that many people today, by in, enrolling in a school of production, somehow feel that they're in production. So eventually, you're going to wind up with this, with this great society of people, all of whom are in production. In one way or another, and eventually, you know, what you what you get to is what what you are arriving at now in New York City. It will spread to other parts of the country. No matter what crummy, ridiculous job you've got, which is your real job, like if you work for the garbage department or something like that, you have to somehow, like an alchemist, transpose that into a glamorous job of uh, creativity. Now I know I just just I've seen the transition come that four or five years ago uh, four or five years ago guys who were writing copy for pickle accounts uh, in little agencies along Madison Avenue were copywriters. I said, I'm a copywriter. I write pickle pickle copy. You know I'm very good on writing uh, stuff about dill pickles. You know and I got this rotten little account. This guy in Jersey makes these rotten pickles and I write it and that was the end of it. Now you know what they say. You meet these guys at P J Clark's the same guy. Oh well of course uh, we're in the communications art. Uh, Communications art. He's writing pickle commercials, and he really believes he's in the communications art. Everybody's in an art form today. Uh, very few insurance men will admit that they sell insurance. They are now in the security art. Uh, 
<laughs> they are artists in the world of security. And so you'll go down, you'll go down abroad, uh, you'll go down to lower Broadway on Wall Street. There are guys who really say, well, actually, actually, Chuck, uh, let's face it, financing is an art. The financial world is an art. Uh, this is not a bucket shop we're working in here, Charlie. This is actually an artisan's workshop, and we're producing the stuff of which life is made of, money. And uh, we just, it's our medium, you know. Michelangelo worked in oils and in uh, marble. I just work in check stones. But we're basically doing the same thing. We're adding life to life, and we're creating a new concept. Oh, yes, everywhere you go, they're looking for a job in production. And everywhere you go, there are there are little little cloudy troubles over the horizon. Hey guys out there, there's a lot of chicks here you are about to marry. Look out. And incidentally, chicks, all of you listening out there, there are a lot of guys that you're about to marry. And look out. Hanging over the horizon is that great big curse, that word that all of us are hung on. C-I-C-R-E-A-T-I-V-I-T-Y, creativity, which, of course, all of you have in great abundance, I'm sure. Bring it up there, King. Let's return to Oz, the wizard's doing, okay? 